It's time to stop reimagining things and actually start changing them. Tune in to Recalibrate with Samsung, where we'll discuss how technology is changing the way we work, connect, and live our lives. Today on Recalibrate, we welcome Alok Shaw and Derek Johnston, two Samsung Networks professionals who help us unpack the future of 5G. Now, here's your host, Jason Claybrook. Hello, Derek. Thanks for being here with me today. So let's just jump right into it and start talking a little bit about 5G and what's that going to do for us going forward. Derek, 5G's coming, 5G's here, somewhere in between. What's the big deal with 5G? Well, 5G, uh, the big deal is, you know, if you if you recall the previous generations of, of cellular networks, you know, 2G gave us uh, largely kind of voice texting applications. 3G was kind of the, the introduction of data to your mobile phone. 4G gave us kind of a lot faster, richer internet experience, kind of ignited the, the kind of mobile economy, if you will. And 5G is like putting fiber in your pocket. Basically, it's kind of putting all that stuff on, on steroids and more. So again, it's kind of, it's the evolution of the, of, of the mobile technology to give you more kind of hyper downloading, hyper streaming, all sorts of other capabilities, but it's also going to enable all these other use cases that weren't contemplated in previous cellular uh, technologies. So that sounds a lot like it benefits me from a consumer perspective. Is there anything that's really better for businesses? Look, Yeah. I, you know, the benefits cross certainly, uh, between consumer and enterprise, uh, one of the things that we think is really exciting about 5G, why it's more than just another generation of mobile, is this idea that not only do you get substantially better speeds and, and overall network capacity, but you get big benefits when it comes to latency. And latency is, is basically how long it takes from the time you do something on your mobile device to the time that the network responds. And that responsiveness goes from, you know, in, in an LTE world, say, 30, 40, 50 milliseconds or more down into the, the single-digit milliseconds potentially, right, with the right network architecture. And, and what that enables is for enterprises to do things that they could not do before, whether it's getting the speeds that 5G gives you or the responsiveness that 5G gives you. Okay. So it's faster. Yeah, this latency thing. It said with mobile devices, what can I do with a mobile device where latency really matters and speed, I guess, for both of them? Yeah, so, so what we're seeing on the consumer side as the most exciting initial use cases are around um, taking VR, virtual reality, to the next level with, um, you know, we've seen kind of the start really interesting augmented reality and virtual reality applications so far in the 4G world or in Wi-Fi, um, but with the kind of higher speeds and low latency that 5G gives you, we're talking about completely unique mixed reality experiences where you, you can get a completely different experience where where mobile devices perhaps are seeing the same kind of augmented reality fields. You can you can imagine multiple users in that same universe rather than today's experience, which are very much like per user, because you have not just kind of low latency, but you have the potential for fixed latency, a very well-defined, consistent level of latency between devices. Okay, so am I going to watch a ball game differently with 5G? Is that is that where the virtual reality is going to come in or play video games differently or yeah. shop differently? Yeah, so, you know, gaming certainly a big piece of it. Um, you know, there's a start to cloud gaming today in the 4G world, uh, but it's really been limited to 
the kinds of games that don't require massive bandwidths uh, and perhaps don't require very low latency. With 5G, we think you can get to cloud gaming uh, in a way where all of the games that are available on your console today, can you can get that same experience on a, on a mobile device wherever you happen to be, in the backseat of your car, walking down the street. And, and so when you layer onto that the next generation of AR, right, where you know Pokemon Go, a completely different version of Pokemon Go, where all of a sudden everybody's operating in that same field at the same time, um, we think that's really exciting. Uh, you mentioned kind of the sports experience, the sports viewing experience. That's also very exciting. Um, you know, Samsung and other companies have done a lot of work in, in stadiums and venues to, um, to use 5G to give, uh, give viewers different angles to what's going on in the game, to, give, to do stitching of different angles so people can get 360-degree views. Yeah, you know, we, um, you know, we've already seen, right, these all kinds of innovation in the sports viewing experience where you've got cameras overhead and, and you know, drones and all kinds of exciting things. That's a lot of video, right? And, and giving each viewer the opportunity to have access to all that video is going to require a different kind of network. It's going to require a lot more bandwidth, right? And then being able to stitch those angles together so that not only do you see what, uh, what Brady's seeing from one angle, you can see what he's seeing kind of across the entire field of view. That's, that's pretty exciting. So it'll turn you into Tony Romo predicting what's going on in the playing field. Well, uh, I don't know if anybody can match what he can do. But. Can, can you do that, Derek? Maybe um, get away from football for a second, but think about NASCAR where cars are going around in a crowded environment. You've got 100, 200,000 people in the stands. You've got 40-plus cars going 180 miles an hour. Can you keep up with that? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the that's the real power, and that's why there's a lot of interest from not only the operators but from major kind of sports um, franchises and and um, the leagues. Is that there, it'll provide this you know the, the latency and the throughput uh, that are capable on five G will provide all sorts of different avenues for them to do new viewing experiences, and that's for everything from what Aloka mentioned on, on VR, but also even just in your in your standard five G device. Um, from, you know, the, the NFL for a long time was looking to try and um, do kind of live streaming uh, via mobile phones, right. but wasn't able to do that in terms of the, the current cellular technology that's out there, at least not on a really solid level. Now you could do a live stream on 5G if you've got this, that pervasive kind of coverage and capacity with 5G. And people will get all sorts of, you know, and they can do new data analytics, all sorts of different views as the look was referring to. So it's, it's a really powerful uh, network. Now you mentioned auto racing. You know, I, I think it, that that right there shows kind of where some of the challenges exist to like to Wi-Fi, right? So Wi-Fi is getting faster all the time. We've got Wi-Fi six coming, and it's uh-huh. going to be really exciting. Provide all kinds of different bandwidth capabilities to consumers and businesses. But the one thing Wi-Fi has always struggled with is mobility, right? And being able to uh, to keep that connection up when something is going at very high speed, right? And so whether you're talking about trains or race cars um, any or, or people driving you know down the street um, there's there's something different that cellular technologies can offer right uh, they can offer that high speed mobility getting up to you know hundreds of miles an hour even uh, and keeping that connection up at, at very high bandwidth is there something maybe a little bit more boring that fits that same criteria aside from cars going around a track? going fast, turning left? Is there something maybe, I don't know, uh, how we have packages delivered to our 
doors. We've seen all the ideas that, you know, a certain giant out there is going to start shipping our packages with drones. Is this going to happen with 5G? Is it just 5G that's going to enable that? Uh, you know, it's funny. Yeah, I think there's a lot of discussion on the various use cases that it can enable. Um, you know, 5G definitely has its uses in spots. 4G LTE is, as well can be used for certain drone applications. We've tested um, actually with 4G LTE drone uh, being attached to drones in terms of maintaining critical communications. You know, when you when you're in a disaster recovery area or what have you, and so this well, kind of like, like a hurricane. Yeah, kind of like a it's like kind of temporary cellular coverage, and so there's all sorts of different applications you can do with drones, and and you know the delivery is just one of them, and uh, delivery um, use case that you mentioned is just one of them. But five G isn't necessary, I think, for those particular applications, but could be again very useful for it. So if 5G is not necessary for it, that is 5G not going to replace 4G LTE or let they coexist? Absolutely. Just like the previous um, generations of, of cellular technology, eventually you, you do replace those generations, right? But 4G LTE, for example, is still being innovated where you know operators today are still pushing the limits of that of that cellular standard and getting it up to almost a gigabit level now in, in you know in terms of, of kind of having this pervasive 4G LTE coverage at you know hundreds of megabits per second gigabit level so um, you know 4G LTE is going to be around for a long time um, but you know operators have started to talk about you know decommissioning 2G 3G networks because again they've got this robust 4G LTE network that provides voice and data and now they're going to have 5G so you know naturally those the earlier generations will start to peel off but again 4G LTE around for a long time and then 5G is going to be your new kind of powerhouse platform to innovate on so you said something interesting there that you're seeing gigabit speeds with LTE now. How do you get gigabit out of LTE? Yeah, there's a there's a combination of of new features and technologies that are coming and have come to LTE networks. So we talk about uh, MIMO, multi-input, multi-output, being able to do uh, parallel streams of data. Basically, five uh, G takes that to a whole other level. But a lot of those capabilities are coming in in four G, and then you've got higher modulation, moving up to something called SUS fifty six QAM. I know it's getting a little. A little techie, but um, you know, but the combination of a four x four MIMO, two fifty six QAM. Uh, Is there a simple way of saying two fifty six for people it's, listening? Uh, it's it's about the it's about how many. Uh, not really. I no. mean, there, it's about how many symbols you can fit into into the data stream you've got, right? So the the tighter you can cram those symbols together, um, the more data you can push through in a given instant, right? And so um, as receiver technology gets better, as physics gets um, more uh, achievable uh, at some of these frequencies. You can design your equipment to to handle much tighter um, kind of symbol spacing, and so those modulation, higher modulation, is a huge driver of higher speeds. And so that combination, and then on top of that, you've got something called carrier aggregation, which is a really important feature in LTE. With carrier aggregation, you take multiple chunks of spectrum that can be disparate uh, in, in different bands, and and you tie them together uh, such that uh, if you were operating on a 10 megahertz uh, spectrum band uh, somewhere, and then you have another 20 here, another 20 there, you can all of a sudden create a 50 megahertz wide uh, channel. Uh, what does that translate to as far as speed? Because I think most people, sit, they're used to saying, well, I've got DSL at home, or I've got a cable modem, and I get uh, 100 meg, or I get a gigabit fiber link to my house. What does is, what is 10 or 20 or 50 megahertz mean as far as 
help people translate that. Yeah. Yeah. Once you're in the 50 plus megahertz range, you're looking at gigabit LTE and that's, and you can get, you can get substantially better than that. Once you go to higher order MIMO, once you go to 256 QAM. So, you know, uh, us carriers and, and carriers in other advanced um, technology countries around the world are seeing, you know, gigabit plus speeds today in LTE. Um, so it's a really exciting time where, because the reality is, you know, it's going to take time for everyone to have a 5g phone in their pocket, right? Uh, for a long time, uh, LTE will remain kind of the, the network that people use, right? Uh, the vast majority of Americans. And so, uh, and, and as usage continues to grow on a per subscriber basis, even with LTE, even with 5G, LTE demand uh, for data will continue to grow. And so, um, operators are being really smart about how they invest in both 4G and 5G to ensure the best consumer experience as possible. If you're talking about achieving gigabit speeds right now, how much is enough? How much more are you going to get with 5G and why do we need more? Yeah, I mean, this is a great question. I think, you know, it depending on what it's, it all depends on the use case and the application that people are looking to fulfill. So um, I think for those folks, and again, I, you know, you have to, we're, we're at the, what I would call kind of the infancy stage of, of talking about 5G and the possibilities. You know, there's been a lot of discussion, I think, around the different use cases and applications and, you know, test beds are being established from operators to, to see how, for example, how 5G can transform manufacturing. How, you know, there's a variety of different applications that can now be enabled, um, you know, on the factory floor with 5G. And so we're at that initial stage. And to your point, you know, how much is enough? You know, so for your, your average consumer, um, the you know 4G LTE with you know uh, hundreds of, of megabits per second uh, speeds may be enough for some of their kind of typical day. If they want to really enjoy some you know streaming video things like that, that's well, I watched the NFL Sunday Ticket from my phone mm -hmm. whenever you know used to be on Saturdays or Sundays go to the kids soccer game or you know my wife wants to go to the mall and go shopping. And I'm like no, I'm going to go watch ball game sitting in the living room. Now I don't really care because I take my phone with me and I'm able to watch 4K while walking through the mall and keeping my wife happy because I'm doing what she wants to do, but I'm really doing what I want to do. So it, it would seem like there's something more than just, you know, being able to stream Cowboys Giants or... So I think it's also important to think about speed versus capacity in the network. Uh, speed is sort of the experience that a, a single user gets. Um, but in order to get kind of gigabit per second speeds on an LTE network, you kind of have to be the only user on that cell tower at a given time, right? So 3M, maybe you can get, you know, many hundreds of megabits per second or gigabit per second. But um, in the middle of the day, you're sharing that capacity with all the other users on your cell. And so uh, capacity is really important. To, you, you've got to increase the overall capacity in your network. And that's one of the things that 5G gets you. Um, you know, it's a leap from, from say, one, one and a half uh, gigabits per second in uh, LTE Advanced Pro all the way up to, uh, we're starting in the sort of five to 10 gigabit per second overall capacity range and headed toward 20. Um, so uh, the, the overall um, experience for all of the users on the cell will improve in 5G. LTE is going from like a, you know, like a quarter inch pipe to a one inch pipe, if you will, from 4G to 5G. Um, so you mentioned kind of 50 megahertz of, of 
LT spectrum. And then in, in some cases with some operators where we're testing a millimeter wave spectrum, like way up there, they're using 800 megahertz of contiguous spectrum. So it's a huge capacity gain and capability that you'll get with 5G to support. To this point, all of those, whether it's IoT devices, handsets, other applications that it could be running on, just an enormous, uh, enormous pipe. So how, how many... You brought up cell tower and having a bunch of things connected off of that. How, you're connecting more things on 5G per cell tower, or so the, in the specifications for 4G versus 5G, 4G has uh, a limit of 100,000 devices per square kilometer that are connected. 100,000, which, which is a very 4G. large number. Yeah, and so that's that's been great for kind of anything that we've needed to do to date. But if you imagine. You know, a downtown area with a set of high rises and, and moving into kind of an IoT smart home world where everything in your home is connected, you can imagine that that starts to become an issue, right? And so 5G brings up to a million devices per square kilometer. And so you get a lot more headroom to be able to move into this kind of world of, of connected intelligence where... Um, where everything becomes an internet-connected device. So are we going to have more things on a 5G network that are not our phones? That's definitely the intention. It's uh, one of the exciting things about kind of moving to this low-latency environment is you can start to do things like remote control of objects, right? So uh, a robot arm in a factory that you want to be able to manage from somewhere else or a robot that's going into a burning building, right, where you don't want to send a first responder for safety purposes, right? Uh, they can uh, they can send uh, automated objects into the building, control them from afar, use drones perhaps to get intelligence about what's going on. By connecting all of these different things and having very tight kind of low latency control of the objects, uh, you can. It's almost as if you're there, but you're not in harm's way. And you're seeing all that in 4K. Sure, or 8K. I mean, the, the bandwidth is there for, you know, lots of different video streams, for very high-resolution video streams, for sure. Is it going to give us self-driving cars, autonomous vehicles? It's been, yeah, it's been tested. Um, so we absolutely think so. It's going to, it's, it's supporting, when you look at autonomous driving vehicles and all of the sensor technology that's required is that why it's not pervasive today? Because there's just not enough bandwidth for it, or I mean, I know people, they've been yeah. Uber's been testing it in Tesla and others. Yeah, I mean, there there are multiple sets of technologies mm -hmm. that have to develop in order to get to true, you know, level three, four, five automation, right? But but we do think connectivity is really important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and like Derek said, you know, we've done we've done testing. Other companies have done testing of using. Uh, networks technologies to be able to um, to be able to, to uh, autonomously operate vehicles. Uh, there's there's a, a new set of technologies called cellular V to X, where uh, V to X is vehicle to everything, basically. And the idea is to use cellular technologies, starting with 4G and moving to 5G, for vehicle to vehicle communication, so that the two cars can talk to each other and sort of navigate the roadways most efficiently. Uh, vehicle to infrastructure, where the the uh, the cars are interacting with traffic lights and and other local infrastructure like that. Um, vehicle to pedestrian over time, where the vehicle is talking to phones basically and ensuring uh, pedestrian safety. Uh, and then vehicle to network, where you're using the sort of macrocellular network as a connectivity layer to enable sort of multiple vehicles to all kind of have the same 
central intelligence. Hey, and, a few a while back, you were talking about this uh, semi trucking thing that was either autonomous or semi autonomous. Oh yeah, platoon. Yeah, platooning. Exactly. So, that's a, that's another thing that's the, the industry has tested. Where uh, it's a it's a fairly cool concept where you've got, um, and this is I think um, more in front of a fully autonomous uh, setup. But platooning, the way it works, is it's using kind of a semi autonomous systems. But you've got this case where maybe it's three uh, semis that are outfitted with kind of semi autonomous driving technology, and you have a lead truck that has kind of a you know as a camera. And then you have a, the, the final truck has got a camera in the back. And so they all have kind of a view of, of their, their surroundings, even if you're the middle truck that's kind of sandwiched in between and, they're, and they're, they're traveling in very kind of tight formation, really close so they get the drafting benefits. And so it, um, the, the, uh, the drivers are, are really there kind of assisting the vehicles, if you will. And the, the whole concept behind platooning is for these, these truckers, or the, these trucking outfits are saving about 10%, I think, in fuel savings, which again, doesn't sound like much, but for these large fleets, these long haul carriers, 10% translates into millions of dollars in wear and tear on the vehicles and fuel efficiency. And so it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty big number ultimately to their bottom line. Yeah, actually, after I, I saw you talking about that, I went and looked up in the best data I could find was 2016, but they, Popular Mechanics said there was 175 billion miles driven by semis in 2016. So it may not be millions. It might be billions of dollars worth of savings because you think at three bucks a gallon for diesel, now how, how big are the gas tanks in, in those trucks? A couple hundred gallons? Gotta be. So 10%, yeesh. Yeah. That's, a, that's a lot of cost savings. So there, you know, we've been talking a lot about the consumer angle, but and you brought up manufacturing a little bit and being able to control an arm or Derek, you said move stuff around the shop floor. Why is it important to be able to move stuff in a manufacturing plant? I mean, that's just been bolted down forever, right? Yeah, and I think um, you know that's that's been a traditional view of manufacturing has been a very kind of static uh, production line, but increasingly. You know, manufacturing over the years has translated into more flexible uh, production lines where they're kind of rapidly changing or, you know, what they're calling kind of mass customization, if you will, of, of certain products. And so they frequently do change things on the line and they have to move equipment. Uh, so there is a need for flexibility within a manufacturing facility. And the problem is about, I think it's something in the neighborhood of 80 to 90% of their equipment is uh, requires kind of a fixed line because they need the bandwidth or they need that solid connectivity. And so if you think about being able to introduce 5G into manufacturing, you know, manufacturing facility that needs that flexibility to move their equipment and then gives them that, that ability to, to relocate that, those, those elements to customize, it could really result in kind of this new wave of innovation for manufacturing to help them either, you know, become much more efficient and operate their their lines much more safely and um, and innovate more quickly, if you will. As one of the largest manufacturers in the world, uh, Samsung's doing a lot of work in this space, and uh, we've in fact got a uh, an innovation zone that we're developing with AT and T down in Austin, Texas, to to really uh, kind of exercise the different uh, manufacturing use cases that can be out there. So it's uh, it's a really interesting time, whether it's manufacturing or warehousing or logistics. There's a lot of innovation already going on in those facilities, whether we're talking about robotics or like Derek was referring to kind of flexible mass customization. 
and connectivity is a really important piece of that. Hey, I saw where you were talking about the uh, facility down in Austin. They have problems with security and uh, something like deer and squirrels. Yeah, yeah, that's another piece of it, right, is, is uh, there, there are a whole number of different safety and security challenges in a facility that's, you know, 10 football fields in size, right? You know, you've got to know where everyone is uh, in, order, uh, in order to just handle everybody's safety uh, effectively. But then you've also got, you've got areas with dangerous chemicals, uh, dangerous materials that uh, need to be properly secured. Uh, and so you've got, you've got cameras that need to watch that, and they perhaps need to be higher resolution so you can see exactly what's going on. The other thing that, um, that can be an interesting challenge is some of these manufacturing facilities are surrounded by, you know, by, by force land, right? By, by open space. Uh, and so you have interesting security challenges on the outside of the building where you, you may have uh, a motion detector that, you know, is just ensuring that you don't have criminals, <laughs> thieves coming in to try to steal, you know, manufacturing equipment or something. And 99% of the time, it's it's a deer, you know, walking up to the the wall of the building and setting off that, that detector that then has to be investigated. And, and mm-hmm. so they're really interested in video, but not just video, but analytics as well, so that uh, you could do uh, recognition of objects uh, in a pretty simple way and know whether you're talking about a person or a deer, right? Simple ways to save them time and money. Yeah, and if you think about it to a looks point, you know, you're, you're talking about a facility that's like 3,000 acres. It's huge, right? And so you look at, you know, and this, this, this is, you know, the particular test bed that he's referring to in Austin. And so you have um, these unique cases where, again, you think about all of the the CCTV cameras that they've got to deploy and all of the cabling that's required to cover a space like that. Being able to kind of, un, you know, unhinge that wirelessly is, you know, one huge benefit. And then the, the second point is the, the analytics and kind of the AI element to this where you can have um, the intelligence kind of built into that local network where there's detection happening and, and, and analysis happening at the at the edge that says, okay, we've we've detected emotion, but now we've seen, okay, this is a this is an animal, not an intruder. So we don't need to dispatch somebody. And so there's value in it um, and Are you kind of twofold. A, a machine makes that determination? Yeah, you have you, again. It can be kind of an AI-driven, you know, kind of video analytics platform is what's kind of being contemplated out there for these kind of video security uh, solutions. So uh, this is something that we've also tested in, a, in kind of a test bed that we had in Sawan for traffic monitoring. Again, you know, using kind of the uh, video analytics and and kind of edge, if you will, computing to again kind of analyze a situation and and then provide the proper um, response or assessment to, you know, a public safety official or what have you. Public public safety also seems like it's a pretty big deal. I was recently at a show and saw a lot of emphasis on public safety from carriers like an AT&T, Verizon, et cetera. So what, what's, how's that going to benefit us as consumers or businesses where, or what is 5G's role with public safety? You know, going forward, I mean, is there a gap that we're filling that exists in 4G that you can't do with 5G or that you can do with 5G? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the ones that comes to mind that, that where 5G, and again, gets back to 
that kind of low latency and high capacity capabilities of 5G is, is when you talk about it, its use in emergency response. So if you think about you know, kind of ambulatory care or when, a, when EMTs have to be on site at uh, a crash or an accident, um, f- the power of 5G could be, again, you have an EMT outfitted with a body cam or some sort of a camera that uh, in today's environment, at least in the U.S., we have a, you know, get to the scene, get the patient, bring them back to to the hospital. Other countries have a more, you know, take care of the patient on site. And so I think what what you could see is this kind of transformation in emergency response and care where you've got a little bit, mitigating a little bit of both, where you could have an, a, a doctor-assisted response to a emergency medical technician that may not have those particular resident skills, but could be walked through, how do I treat this? How do I triage this issue so that I can save a life and then get them to the, you know, get them to the hospital for that critical care to help, you know, kind of solve the issue. Yeah. While they're on the way to the hospital. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The other, um, the other interesting areas, you know, speaking of, of uh, ambulances and EMS, right. Getting to the scene of the accident, takes a long time, right? And, and it's, you know, we've got flashing lights and we've got all these ways to try to get folks to to get out of the way. But with this V to X technology, there's a way to go another level, you know, forward, right? Where the ambulance can actually inform the other cars in front of it that it's got an emergency situation and that the road needs to get cleared out. And then the, the cars, that notification actually can show up in the car for the, the drivers to know, okay, we really need to get out of the way here. And, and perhaps as we move towards some automation, there's a way to do that with sort of this, this common intelligence so that everyone can most efficiently get out of the way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that there's space for everyone to get out of the way and, and make enough room for the ambulance to get through. So it, it, there's, again, it, what's exciting about 5G is that you've got not just 5G coming to market, but you've got all of these advances in automotive technology, in artificial intelligence and machine learning, in uh, in the Internet of Things, and, and they're all kind of happening at the same time, and that creates these uh, these experiences that require multiple technologies to operate in concert, and, and companies are working to make that happen. Yeah, I was kind of curious about that. Just I know from my own experience, if you rewind back to the late '90s, early 2000s, you had a period of time where you know, fiber was being trenched all over the U.S., but it remained dark fiber because there was an application to support the need for it. So you saw kind of a telecom bubble, if you will, during that period of time. A lot of investment, but didn't have the applications to support it. So it sounds, with what you're talking about, that these other technologies are maturing kind of at the same rate that the cellular networks are maturing. So we don't expect that kind of problem where you had a little bit of build it and they will come, but we're not sure where the, when it's going to come. So IOT, machine learning, AI, those things are kind of happen. Sounds like simultaneously where they're all maturing together. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, they, they certainly are maturing all kind of at the same time. And we're seeing, you know, we're already seeing the fruits of that, right? If you use the, the, the photo app on your phone, right? The ability to do uh, facial recognition to just like categorize all of the pictures that have certain family members. Like that's a very powerful kind of cloud analytics technology that uses machine learning. And, you know, we were talking about uh, doing video analytics on the manufacturing uh, floor to protect against, um, you know, any issues with dangerous chemical storage, so stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of interesting kind of progress that's been made 
when it comes to machine learning, when it comes to IoT, but there's still so much room to go. I, I think all of these technologies are really still kind of in the, the first or second inning, and there's massive investments being made across the industry uh, to, uh, to move those forward. Yeah, I think if you look at when 4G LTE was built as, a, you know, as, as the last generation of, of cellular technology and what that, that generation brought to the table in terms of, of spawning off other industries, it's, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, social media exploded because of 4G LTE, right? I mean, Facebook wouldn't be where it is today without, you know, without people having that level of connectivity to be able to kind of share right. video, share. Uber wouldn't exist without 4G LTE, right? Ride sharing really was created because that platform was there. And we see that 5G is a broader platform for not just mobile devices. And that's why I think that, you know, folks are so bullish about 5G that there really is no bubble seen because not only do you have the natural discussion we were having in terms of the demand, so people continue to use just their their, their devices. So there's a capacity need, right, to state that. And then there's there's a you know a continued use of video applications and things like that that are requiring that kind of bandwidth and those speeds and a little latency and things like that. So there's 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 a need for 5G, you know, uh, just in the mobile device evolution, but then there's also these other applications that I think are kind of ready and the industry is ripe to start to put on that platform. Okay. At a certain point your head starts to spin when you start thinking about all these things, right? So there's there's a lot of cool things coming, a lot of uh, a lot of data being moved around, and I think for today, that's probably a good place to just hang up our cleats because uh, we're going to talk again soon, and we're going to get into things like Spectrum and Open RAN, and maybe peek under the hood of what 5G is. We've got a good, I think, good understanding of types of things it's going to enable, but we'll get into it a little bit more next time. And guys, thanks for being here uh, to kick us off with recalibrate. Thanks, Jason. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recalibrate. For previous and upcoming episodes, or for more of our content, you can head to samsung-networks.com, or you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.